0: Being a fucking piece of shit when it comes to white supremacy. Recognize that it's out there. Recognize that it's baked into every brick of the foundation of this nation and do something to change it with the privileges that you have. I hate that we have to talk about this. I hate that we have to address actual real world terrors, but it's the real world terrors that have kept our world in this perpetual state of of apartheid, you know, our whole lives, definitely. So uh, please be aware of what you can do. And fucking do it. Yes. Well, we are we are ranting endlessly about white supremacy. It must be SJW, social justice weirdos. I'm humorless feminist Charlie McCorn. I use they, she pronouns.
1: And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. And we are uh,
0: back for another week talking about the wild and, and woolly world uh, of, I don't know, like, We try to describe like the format of the show at the beginning of every episode. I don't think we quite really know what it is. I think it's just us talking, which I think is what most podcasts really are.
1: You know what? There's just, it's not that we don't know. We know exactly what we're doing. And so does, so do our listeners. It's just that there's no words for it yet.
0: That's right. It's a new genre. I think that's really sort of uh, developing here right now. You know, this isn't, this isn't like post-rock. This isn't like post-true crime. This isn't, this isn't like bad movies 2.0. It's a brand new genre. Uh, passion punk, we'll call it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And uh, today we're talking about something that that I am incredibly passionate about. And yes, it, it's another episode from Charlie, so that means it's a coin toss. Is it either complaining about the office of the U.S. president, or is it biography of queer horror movie directors? Well, uh, today's mood, I think, really calls for queer horror Directors, and we are digging into the history and life of the quote worst filmmaker of all time, the worst director of all time, Edward D. Wood Jr. Okay, you know Edward,
1: yes, uh, but I was really hoping you would say both. <laughs> I mean, I could,
0: I could talk about both. I mean, <laughs> you know, Dwight David Eisenhower's, you know, kind of. You know what? No, I'm not going to get into it. I, yeah, okay. I don't want to do another episode where I rant for 30 minutes about a different thing before eventually pulling it together. Let's just say that I have some opinions about Dwight David Eisenhower. But uh, we're talking about Edward D. Wood Jr. This title uh, that he's sort of been, I don't know, saddled with, where uh, he's been called the worst director of all time. There are not just so many worst directors out there. There are worse people who are making films out there. Is Ed Wood a worse director than, let's say, oh, I don't know, Victor Salvo, who continues uh, to make movies despite many of his movies being used to commit sex crimes against children? Like, Ed Wood didn't do, didn't do that. People probably get mad at me for this one. Like, hey, Stanley Kubrick and Alfred Hitchcock, yeah, made good films, but absolutely like caused trauma to real-life human beings in our world. Yeah. And while Ed Wood's trauma may have been a little bit different, um, I wanted to just address that he's not the worst director of, of, of all time um uh, what the fuck who's the guy that directed x-men i forget his name oh um brian singer yeah brian singer speaking of worst directors of all time uh, i mean edward d wood jr was was a weirdo he had his struggles with addiction but he he wasn't uh, a sex criminal like he didn't like commit sex crimes while making movies which i think gets him out of the conversation of worst director of all time Fucking Woody Allen. Like, like. all right, I know I'm pissing off all the film bros, but, but come at me. Edward D. Wood Jr. is a better director than than uh, fucking um, Woody Allen because Ed Wood uh, didn't rape anyone. Just saying. Okay?
1: Yeah. I, I fully agree. Okay. Uh, and I'm also a little shocked because I didn't know some of that stuff that you just said. <laughs> about about who? About some of the filmmakers Oh. oh yeah there's also Roman Polanski. Oh of course
0: Roman Polanski you know what he's actually really underrated I think and no, I'm kidding I'm kidding fuck <laughs> Roman Polanski that kid was 14 that fucking piece of shit. Yeah like I understand and maybe this is sort of like the large first part of the conversation that we I think we need to have on this podcast is about separating the artist from from the art. And I I think that that is something that that can be done but it's not something that can be completely done. You know we don't sure. exist you know, in a vacuum here especially you know Victor Salvo who is going to continue to make money the more of these Jeepers Creepers movies they keep to make like he used his films as a vehicle to molest child actors on set.
1: Oh. And
0: yeah. he keeps getting money. He I mean he keeps getting jobs, he keeps getting paid. Yeah. And there's a hard time separating art from artist when that art was used in in the commitment of a sex crime. Right, I think yeah. that there's a very big difference maybe between that.
1: Yeah, usually um, when it comes to, like, film and music and, you know, it, I I think of, like, all of the people that it took to make that movie. Like, not just... I mean, there's all kinds of art being done from, like, the pre-production to the production to the post-production parts of the movie. And there are hundreds of people involved, usually. And so... um, but when it comes to something like Jeepers Creepers, and and what had happened, uh, my biggest problem is how many of those hundreds of people were complacent.
0: Yeah, that's I think a hard question. I think is really at the heart of a lot of you know what's being viewed as, as the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. We're all, at the end of the day, we're all you know complicit in something. We have and obviously I'm not saying that we're all complicit in sex crimes though. Hey, if you're wondering if I'm talking about you and that sex crime that you think you're complicit in it, probably you listener. No, <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't insult the audience like that. Hey, get better. Um, but the, the point sort of coming to it and getting to it is like, I guess the big best example is Buffy, the vampire slayer, um, which I was in the middle of a rewatch when, uh, those new, that, uh, sort of the statement from charisma Carpenter came out about Joss Whedon's, um, like horrendous uh, actions on set and his treatment of of women on on that show. And like rewatching that show now, which was you know very important to me as a young and, you know, it leaves a different taste in my mouth. But it's still a place where several fantastic uh, you know female creators, you know, not just the actresses, but you know, people like Marty Knoxon behind the scenes, like all these people working behind the scenes still created the show that, you know, even though it was created by this guy who did some pretty terrible things holds up in, yeah. in a way, and I don't feel as bad about it. You know, like, okay, yes, oh, behind the scenes, I know that the actresses were being treated like garbage on on certain shows or, or certain things. And it, I think about that Onion headline, it's like burnt into my fucking mind. It's like, Aerial woman stops being a feminist for 30 minutes to watch television. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, hate
1: to, I hate to... read a to... book, or...
0: It's all, yeah, like, I don't know if people can understand that the society that we live in is so, as we established... Inundated with with sexism is inundated with with homophobia yeah. and racism and all of these things that are just part of our culture because we let them we let them be
1: we let them be yeah
0: we let them be um so uh, let's let's jump on track uh, I want to talk about Edward D Wood Jr uh, and the second controversial thing I'm going to say about him I'm calling him a queer filmmaker this is going to probably piss some people off so I. I am not saying that Edward D. Wood Jr. Was, was trans or gay or bisexual. I'm not trying to apply any labels that, that, that the, uh, the uh, artists themselves would not have had, you know, or did not use to describe themselves. Like, I, I don't want to just say like, oh, he, he he was clearly this or they were close. Edward D. Wood Jr., however, um, was a crossdresser. And I know that there's some debate, I think, both in straight and queer circles about where crossdressing kind of feels like, are you queer? Are you, are you not? I am going to say that whatever the line is, there is a line. I don't know where it is. But one of the things that definitely crosses that line into queerdom is making a feature-length motion picture starring Bela Lugosi about your own Mm cross-dressing. And that's exactly what Edward D. Wood Jr. did. So um, again, there is a movie. uh, One of my favorite movies is Edward by Tim Burton. Uh, It's fantastic. It is not 100% accurate, but much like our episode on James Whale, I'm going to tell you the truth as well as I know it, but to be fair, I may be influenced by by the fictional stories of it. Yeah. So Edward D. Wood Jr., he was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, 1924. He was uh, kind of a, a, a weird child, we'll say. Uh, Wood's mother would dress him up in girls' clothing when he was a child because she had always wanted a daughter. This established a lifelong love of cross-dressing, uh, especially uh, for Angora. Which, which, as we know, is a uh, incredibly super soft um, wool that comes from the special rabbits uh, that they they breed up in the Andes. Yeah, uh, I have an Angora scarf, for example. It is so soft; one of my favorite things. Um, but like like many children of the time, he was also really into the pulp fiction magazines. He loved Western movies. He loved serials. He loved uh, horror films. Uh, he loved. All of these things. In fact, he would often like forego like his responsibilities. He would skip school. He would he would uh, lose jobs. He would not do homework because he was at the theater like day long, just like watching the whole thing. And sometimes he'd go through the trash, uh, picking out like discarded pieces of film that were thrown away uh, from breaks by the projectionists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started uh, making movies. In 1936. When he was 12, he got a camera, he started me- immediately just like filming things. Uh, he worked as a usher. he did all kinds of things. and then World War II happens. Uh, right after Pearl Harbor, uh, Edward joins the Marines. He uh, famously um, had his teeth knocked out by a Japanese rifleman uh, in the Pacific. Uh, and he was so concerned, not because he was wounded, but because he was wearing a bra panties under his uniform, and he was so afraid that the uh, that the medic was going to discover his secret. Yeah. So, following World War II, Ed Wood, like many uh, GIs, uh, head out to Hollywood, California. Like, you know what? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a go of it in in the industry. And he made a bunch of like small indie films that are lost to history. A lot, a lot of westerns that exist in like various clips here and there. He uh, started uh, writing and directing plays based on his experiences in the war. Great scene in, in the Ed Wood film sort of uh, recanting that. But uh, then so often as it does the world changes in very interesting ways. He meets Bela Lugosi the star of Dracula, the the Hungarian-born actor who who put the image of Dracula into our popular consciousness in Todd Browning's 1931 film, who at this point, uh, by the 1950s, was a has-been with a morphine addiction. Mm -hmm. Unlike, uh, let's say, uh, Boris Karloff, who had a really phenomenal career in film, basically, you know, before Frankenstein, Frankenstein, and then up into the 60s, working and, you know, doing really great things, Bela Lugosi's career had completely fallen apart. Uh, he was depressed. He had a morphine addiction. Uh, and it it was really, really getting to him. Mm-hmm. So then we come back to someone that we talked about previously on this show, Christine Jorgensen, whose who's gender-affirming surgeries in, 19, in the 1950s sort of introduced the world to the larger understanding or the larger sort of concept of, of transsexuality and transgenderism. hmm a um George Weiss, who was a, a exploitation film director, is like, hey, people want to hear about uh this Christine Jorgensen story, I'm gonna make a movie about it. He contracts Ed Wood to write and direct this movie. Mm-hmm. Which instead of being a uh instead of being a biography of Christine Jorgensen, who sued to have her name taken off the, the project. I mean, it's not even like Christine Jorgensen with the numbers filed off. Ed Wood made a movie about his own cross-dressing. And he cast Bela Lugosi as one of the three narrators in the movie. Like, there's two different, like, framing devices where Bela Lugosi is this mad scientist sitting in a, like, spooky old haunted house talking to the camera about, like, ah, snips and snails and puppy dog tails. (laughs) What are the little girls made up? Like, it's so insane it's in pretty inept, the acting is bananas, and the last, like, ten minutes are all stock footage of a Christine Jorgensen-esque story. Okay. This movie was released as Glenn or Glenda in 1953. Oh, okay. The film stars uh, Wood, who plays uh, both the, uh, the eponymous Glenn and the titular Glenda. Uh, two parts of of one person uh, struggling with telling uh, their fiance of, do I tell this woman that I like wearing her sweaters?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: and th- and the movie's bad. It's it has some absolutely baffling scenes. There's a part where like the devil shows up and like dances around tempting uh, our hero with with transvestism. Um, but me by Ed Wood. Well, go ahead. As he does, the devil. As he does. I mean, that's how I know the devil, basically. <laughs> I just had to start like wearing bras and get him to shut the fuck up. All right, all right, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, the devil.
1: Yeah. Oh my I'm... God, the devil. You were so annoying.
0: Oh, God. Okay, fine, the devil. I'll put on a skirt. Thanks, the devil. <laughs> uh, and Ed Wood, of course, having, you know, 1953's understanding of sexuality and gender really whiffs a lot of like, let's just say basic science stuff about this movie. So don't go into this movie, this famously bad movie looking for you know, a better understanding of, of trans people, except maybe it's a historical document to see how how, you know, queer artists reacted to Christine Jorgensen's transition, much like the Ray Bourbon album Take Operation we talked about earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Uh the movie ruined the company. Like the producer like, could not make money back. It was the worst movie he had ever seen before. But having a feature under his belt, Ed Wood was able to continue to grift people uh into financing his monster movies. Uh most famously, I think, would be his sort of his oeuvre, his sort of his um his his uh his masterpiece of his trash piece, if you will. Mm-hmm. Plan nine from outer space. Okay which he and his entire cast and production crew were all baptized by a, uh, a church who were going to fund the movie as the idea was hey we'll all join your church we'll use this money you have to make a science fiction film which is guaranteed to make money and then you can make all kinds of religious films about all the prophets with all the profits that we're going to make
1: yeah <laughs> profits, profit got it
0: exactly but then uh, Planet from Outer Space ended up being terrible, like considered one of the worst movies of all time.
1: Don't you hate it when you join a church and something like that? You know, it ends up being horrible.
0: Yeah, it's so horrible the devil shows up and tempts you with, with a bra.
1: Like, <laughs> like
0: oh. So either I have to like go to church and be pious, or I can have the devil completely annoying me all the time, or I can just start wearing a bra and everyone can just leave me alone.
1: I totally joined a church to date a guy and it ended up horrible. So I totally get everything you just said.
0: I almost converted to Judaism to be with someone that I met my freshman year of college. I am. Um, yeah, I, I we've all been there. Yeah, we've, we, we've all been there. <laughs> so Ed Wood would continue to make films for a few years with sort of a rotating cast of, of, of weirdos and, and miscreants. Bela the would continue to appear in films, including Plan Nine, which was the last film Bela the Ghosty contributed any film to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and then as sort of the years went on, um, his, you know the funding dried up. He started uh, sort of you know writing these like sort of like softcore monster like porno movies, I guess. Lots of lots of like big boobs kind of flipping around while monsters scream at them. Uh, but then he kind of uh, sort of later in his life his depression worsened and uh, his alcoholism at this point had gotten completely out of, the, out of control. Um, drinking vodka pretty much 24-7 um, before he died of a heart attack in, in
1: 1978.
0: Mm. Um, in the, that first movie he did, Glen or Glenda, it stars his, uh, his actual girlfriend at the time, Dolores Fuller, who... Um, you know it was kind of tough for her cuz he wrote this movie about hey look it's this guy who uh is a cross dresser and he wants to tell this lady that he loves and will you be in this movie and she's like this is our life why are you putting making our life into a movie why are we talking about your cross dressing in a feature film with Bela lagosi she had some trouble with this yeah. however she would go on to actually have a uh, pretty fantastic career as a songwriter Including writing uh, over a dozen songs for Elvis Presley.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Including, like, most famously, probably Rockahula Baby, which was from Blue Hawaii in 1960-something. Mm-hmm. 61, 62, 63. Uh, some, somewhere in there. Uh, somewhere that.
1: Yeah, it was September 19th, nineteen. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that.
0: <laughs> uh, he also worked, uh, another one of my big passions, of course, is professional wrestling. He worked with the Swedish wrestler Tor Johnson, uh, who uh, in uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, the, the the producers of the film, this Baptist church who were footing the bill, were very upset. It was like, well, why is he getting all the lines? English is not his first language. And he does not look like a police officer. He looks like Swedish wrestler Tor Johnson. <laughs> great, great wrestling uh, casting there. And so the reason that we're talking about Edward sort of D Wood junior here is that it is interesting that we have these works of art uh, Glenn or Glenda and Ray Bourbon's Let Me Tell You About My Operation we talked about in a previous episode Mm -hmm. which are both pieces of art done by queer people in response to one of the biggest queer stories of the 20th century Christine Jorgensen's transition and sort of the international headlines that that made we know obviously that there were queer and gay and trans people throughout the country and throughout the world that were all sort of aware of, of what was happening. But to have someone of that time contemporaneously make art of that is, I think, incredibly important, not just for, for, for history, but also for, for the culture of queer society is, is that, you know, a lot of things were, you know, hidden in the closet, pun kind of intended there, you know, you know, whole lives hidden between lines but then there were people like ray bourbon and ed wood and again i know people are gonna be very upset that i'm calling him a a queer artist but i don't know you made you make a movie about cross-dressing with Bela lagosi i feel like that's going to cross that line wherever it is Mm -hmm. yeah that's that is that is out like that is that is sort of letting everyone in on it yeah and to have these pieces of work and you know regardless of their quality or their impact or how they're viewed today, they're still important artifacts to the the history and culture of my people.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's, that's sort of the story of, of Ed Wood. Um, his movies are all bad and some of them are more watchable than others. I've, I've rewatched *Ed Wood* a few times. I watched it, you know, earlier during quarantine. I was doing some horror hosting uh, while I'm locked down from my apartment. And the thing about Glenn or Glenda that, despite all of the backwards medical stuff, despite you know some of the stranger conflation's that would seem to choose, but again, you know, he was he had a 1953 understanding of sex and gender. But yes. the movie has such a p- kind of positive ending. This sort of like overall plea for not necessarily acceptance, but understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know we're not looking. You know, for whatever reason, the various uh, trans people's lives who are portrayed in this film, including the the not Christine Jorgensen, who's told almost completely with stock footage. The idea that I, I, I think about is sort of in the opening of the film. There's sort of this voiceover of these people saying. Like, oh, boy, automobiles. Well, I remember when we didn't have any of those. If, if, if the creator meant us to travel, he would have given us four tires. Like, uh, aeroplanes. We don't need to travel. That's not God's design. And then someone's saying, like, well, if they're born a boy, then they're a boy. That's all there is to it. And it's so interesting that 1952, this time period, this movie is talking about these conversations and these sort of lines that are still being expressed towards trans and gender non-conforming people.
1: Today. Yeah. Today. Like, yeah. In, in, in like, you know, house places and Congress and throughout America right now.
0: Yeah. In the Montana they, house right now, there are, there are actual elected officials who are attacking transgender children. Mm-hmm. Right now, and the, you'll hear them all say, like, this is something new, this is experimental, this is dangerous, this is a fad. Yeah. Motherfucker, this can't be a fad if Bela Lagosi started a sex change movie in 1953. Bam. Like, I can't I can't stress enough that. Like, it drives me crazy that we have come so far as as transgender people, we have come so far, and yet society on the whole continues to hold back to these antiquated beliefs that Edward D. Wood Jr. was making fun of in his movie with Bela Lugosi in the 1950s. I'm getting a little worked up on this because it, it's really infuriating to have people not understand that just because something is new to them does not mean it's new to the world. Obviously, gender nonconformity and trans people have existed living forever. For I don't either. know what causes it. I can't yeah. explain it. If I or anyone else like me could explain it accurately, we wouldn't have to keep having these conversations with people.
1: Absolutely. I have a fifteen-year-old trans child who wants to be in baseball. I don't know like how this is going to work with Montana like laws being the way they are.
0: Yeah, it's actual exclusion of like point six percent of the population, like a fraction of the percentage of trans people in Montana. And instead of working towards, let's say, like job bills or helping our economy or getting us through this pandemic the Montana legislator is just sitting around actively attacking the the most vulnerable among us. Mm -hmm. And that's disgusting because as a Montanan, I've always felt like, well, you know, it's complicated here for politics. But now it seems that the GOP has taken on the sort of like, well, they're abandoning the idea of small government in form of like larger governments taking care of smaller amounts of people so that the people with money don't have to fucking worry about it. Meanwhile, people like us on the ground right now are living with the consequences of these mean-spirited and unconstitutional bills that the functionally illiterate Montana GOP is fighting its way through the legislature. And it sucks because this is this is not going to just be about sports. This is going to embolden more transphobia. It's going to embolden more violence against transphobia, but not that they care because having seen how the legislators refuse to wear masks and say, well, it should be about personal responsibility. And knowing that this is a pandemic that is disproportionately affecting our native American citizens. I think that the Montana GOP would actively hunt minorities for fun if they could. Oh yeah. I don't think people understand how close we are to to the mass coming off and the level of like respectability being thrown off, throwing us back into a Jim Crow era.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not even saying that they don't. I mean, Native yeah. Americans are dispro and specifically Native American women are disproportionately like populated in prisons right now in Montana. Well across the country, but in Montana specifically, that is hunting minorities. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and the montana uh gop absolutely i will say okay this episode about ed wood has gotten
1: fucking off oh the yeah list, thanks thanks to the I mean, thanks to a real world show how like um like these connections have been here for a very very long time and yet we still live in a world that's like closing their eyes to the entire like situation of um children who are going through this to this day. And I don't want my child to have to grow up and make a movie about like how they were like discriminated against and like begging for understanding. Like, I don't want that for my child.
0: The same people that will reward these future stories of our oppression are the same people who are actively being, are, are the same people who are actively oppressing us right now. Absolutely. And I think that the larger problem that people are having, I think, with, with these social justice movements is that there are a lot of people who feel that the world is fine the way it is because they don't see the reality of the world because they are so sort of soaking in that white supremacy that we've been talking about that they, they, they think, well, Obviously, yeah, everyone's free. The Constitution says that we're all equal, so why are they why are they protesting? Why are they writing? They already have these rights. It's almost as if people have a hard time understanding that their experiences do not represent the universal experiences of humanity. Yeah, especially in Montana, like i I understand to a point that someone from a small town in Montana who has never met a trans person in their life, I mean, never, not that not they're aware of. Uh, here's these stories because they've been radicalized by, by cable news. They've been radicalized by the internet. And they have these crazy ideas that they are sort of the last bastion of protecting uh, womanhood from, from these hypersexualized thugs, which is the same language that's been applied to uh, people of color, to gay people. To, to Native American people, they they are looking for the new scapegoat to get across a mean spirited agenda, mm-hmm. and I would say that I am disappointed that every election I think of my adult life has not been a hard choice. Mm-hmm. I would like to vote for a Republican candidate. I would I I like small government. I fucking love guns. I there are things on that platform that I I can get behind. That's someone that grew up in small town Montana however seeing the the bigotry and the failure to address to existential threats to our human survival and the strength of our democracy in our nation uh having seen all of these things and recognizing that oh i gotta do something else because though i love guns and i want a small government i recognize that if i am keeping this in in power i am just helping the side of of the oppressor yeah and yeah. as as an oppressed as a hashtag oppressed <laughs> it's it's sickening that and again don't get me wrong i don't care for the democrats either like yeah. i only really really vote for them because they're least likely to take away my my rights right that's really right. about it like let's let's not split hairs here i think both parties are are just sort of you know are just sort of like on the other end of like that divide although i think the gop is definitely marching further away to that to the right which is worrying mm-hmm. because it's not about necessarily the the individual mandates or the individual experiences. Like this is systemic inequality that that is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Unless we do something and we have to do something about it. Yep. And that's so so that's about Edward D. Wood Jr. One. <laughs> so my, my my key point about the life of Edward D. Wood Jr. Is fuck the Montana GOP for abandoning our state for the for a larger federal big government. Like, yep. come the fuck on. We live here because we don't want this, but instead, now you know what? That's that's Edward for you. I'm I'm <laughs> I got on, I got started, I started fighting my high horse and now I'm grumpy.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, but I mean it's stuff that needs to be said. Uh, and when you're comfortable, then you're not doing anything to like make, you know, to make yourself less comfortable. And if you're not uncomfortable, then there's probably, you're probably upholding some sort of uh, patriarchal or white supremacist viewpoints. And you should probably look into that. Yeah. And Hey, you're doing it accidentally. Like you're, No
0: one's saying you're a bad person, but we're saying fucking check yourself and recognize the reality of the world around you for people who aren't like you and how you can make their lives better just by making yourself a little uncomfortable every once in a while. Just that. Just that would be, I think, enough to have huge changes throughout this country. Yes. We can make things better if, if people would just take a second to recognize they need to make themselves uncomfortable for a little bit to try to make the world better. Because if you don't, it's going to get to a point where we, we're not going to be able to make the world better by being uncomfortable. We're going to make the world better. That ah, almost sounds like a threat when I make it that way. We have to do it now because if not us, who? And if not now, when? You know?
1: Yep, exactly. And great bumper uh,
0: sticker, great wisdom. All my wisdom <laughs> comes from bumper stickers, let me just say.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... You know, on that note, this has been Social Justice Weirdos. <laughs> I'm Lenny Peppers.
0: I'm Charlie McCorn. Remember, you might not be able to change the world, but you can at least go a it.